Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. We're recording this on a Sunday. Yes. And it's the Sunday after we just had our brand new EP release party. Mm-hmm. So we're both sounding a little... Uh, a little hoarse today because we let it rip <laughs> last hoarse. night with a good show. Yeah, last night was a blast. Thanks to everybody who came to see us at the Red Zone here in Madison, Wisconsin. Yes. And also, if you're the friend on, on Twitter or Facebook that tried to buy us a round of drinks last night. <laughs> that um, was we, awesome. Thank you for calling in. We, <laughs> we really appreciate that. That was pretty cool. That was a very uh, uh, cool surprise when yes, we got to the venue and they said was. somebody called and said congratulations and stuff. So. so if you could not be at the show last night, probably because you weren't in Madison, um, then you can download that the new EP at www.sunspotuniverse.com. I will have a link to that in the show notes too. But sunspotuniverse.com is where you can grab American Monsters. That's right. And that's three new songs which were inspired by podcasts, um, or by this podcast, right. several episodes. Uh, inspired by discussion with the Beast of Bray Road herself, Linda Godfrey, Silver Screen Saucers, Robbie Graham, and Dr. Luis Monero on out-of-body experiences. And we'll link to those shows. And you can hear the originals, and you can hear the new versions, which are totally sweet. Yeah, the studio recordings. And now they're they're pretty much fully integrated into our live set as well. So it's fun to to get these podcast songs yeah. out there and, and bring them to the, the world of live rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it's a, it, it's a, it's a cool mix. And um, anyway, so th- thanks to everybody. And you can download the music absolutely free at sunspotuniverse.com. That's right. Today's interview is interesting as well. So this is a film director, Wendy. So we, we just, okay. we've moved from, we're moving into the pop culture realm now. Yeah. Inspired by the paranormal. Oh man, it's everything we love. Everything we love. So it's a um, it's a pretty cool movie. It's called Convergence. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it at uh, Blu-ray. You can pick it up at any Best Buy or anything like that. It's there, and um, it's starring the the drummer from that thing you do. Oh my gosh! Awesome. <laughs> right. So Ethan Embry's in it. Uh, that was very cool. Very cool. And he plays he plays the villain. He does a great job. Great. So uh, no, it's a pretty cool I'm movie. Excited to see it. Yeah. And uh, Drew, Drew Hall is the name of the filmmaker from uh, Mobile, Alabama. So he's an Alabama filmmaker. And he's also has a lifelong interest in the paranormal. And we're talking about his influences, the paranormal influences on his films. And there's a ghost hunting team in his movie. And the ghost is a video on his website. They actually go, the ghost hunting team actually goes on a real ghost hunt and they tape it. Awesome. And you can see that at conversionsmovie.com. And of course, all of the links will be in the show notes othersidepodcast.com slash 86 86 episodes already that's yeah. hard to... it's so funny because every week we're like oh my gosh <laughs> right i know like whatever the number is it's always astounding i promise episode 87 <laughs> i will not say anything no, it's it's I w- okay i will not be amazed it's good to be delighted by things still even when you're you know grown up and Right. And even when we've been doing this. Most of the world is boring and unexciting. And <laughs> right. Adulting, as people seem to call it. Oh, gosh. So anyway, so Drew's a cool guy. Uh, he joined us from his home studio 
in Alabama. And let's check it out. All right. We're here with writer and director Drew Hall, uh, whose latest film is called Convergence. It's a supernatural thriller. And uh, I just watched it this week and I thought it was a pretty cool movie. And I think you guys would enjoy it too. And now we're going to talk with him a little bit about the movie and some of the paranormal themes behind it. Welcome, Drew. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Big fan. Thank you. And uh, where are you located right now? So what city are you in? I know you're, you travel a lot in production and things like that. So where are you at right now? Uh, I just got back from Chattanooga. So yesterday I would have told you I crossed three states in six hours. Right now, though, I'm, I'm back in uh, our studio in Alabama, as a matter of fact. All right. And uh, actually, I was... I had never spent much time in Alabama, and I went to Birmingham for the first time a couple weeks ago and had the nicest hotel staff I think I've ever met in my life. Oh, yeah? So I, all of my experiences with Alabama so far have been absolutely lovely. That's good. That's, it's, you know, it's Southern hospitality. We, 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 obviously, there's no way from hiding from uh, this you know, unfortunate checkered past that we have. There's just kind of bad space, but... The modern Alabama and the people here are nice. Most of the South is nice. In fact, I think everywhere is nice uh, as long as you're nice first. That's how I approach it. I'd rather just be dumb and pretend like everybody's nice. Right. And I, I think that's a good way to look at life. I think that's, um, that's, that's kind of the theme of the song we did for our April Fool's Day episode called Fool about how uh, you'd rather be open, have an open heart. Um, it's, it's better to live like that than to live cynically because you yeah, have a lot better chance of happiness with an open heart than you do with thinking everybody's out to get you. Oh, look, uh, it's, it's more true. That resonates. You have no idea how much it resonates. So I jumped off of Facebook because for me, my Facebook account and the wall, certainly during this political election, and I'm not getting political, has become right. so insane with like bitterness. I'm out, man. I don't need that in my <laughs> life. If I want bitterness, I'll drink a beer. <laughs> right. Right. At least you get to enjoy it. That's right. That's the kind of bitter I like. Okay, so Drew, let's talk about uh, your movies and your filmmaking and uh, what got you interested in filmmaking in the first place. You know, what was the inspiration? Was it a certain thing? Like a lot of people are like, I saw E.T. And I'm like, I got to make movies after I saw that. Probably J.J. Abrams, right? That's what he saw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, so what did, what did you see that inspired you? So the, uh, I'll give the, the cool answer first and then I'll give you the truth. So the cool answer okay. is <laughs> I, I'm one of those, I'm a Star Wars Raiders kid. So like for me, especially it was Raiders. Um, I remember seeing Raiders and, and, and just, I, I knew what an archeologist was, but it was never that glorious. And so for me, it just sucked me in this idea of adventure and travel and, uh, a really, a whip. I get to have a whip if I'm an archeologist <laughs> and, yeah. and then my parents broke it to me that that's a movie, you know, it's that kind of thing. And I learned that archeology span is a lot of just staring at rocks. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, obviously, but right. Uh, so, so yeah, I would say it was Raiders and then star Wars. Cause I was a nerd in that way, but the true, the really kind of dark secret that I'll reveal to you is that uh, me and my buddies, I got into filmmaking because we loved pro wrestling a lot. All right. And I was the guy that was filming our pretend wrestling matches uh, and cutting promos. We would film our own promos. If I could ever find these, they're, they're awful, but they're brilliant. I think they're so brilliant. So you would do little promos like, like, hey, Mean Gene, let me tell you all about it, brother. Like, you know, like oh, stuff yeah. like that. Oh, full, full time. We were cutting promos like champs. That's how we did it. And then I started learning. I learned about it. And it was for me, realistically, yeah, I played with a camera. I had an eight millimeter Super 8 camera. I flashed the magazine. My grandfather had given it to me. I didn't know he had put film in it. So I went through that side of stuff. 
but I really didn't start experimenting until, uh, maybe I was 14 or 15 when, you know, I think we had a VHS bag camera. And so, you know, you're carrying this huge tank of a thing. That's when we started and crash editing where you'd have two VCRs hooked together and you'd press play and stop and record and all that junk. I started doing that stuff. Um, just, I, I have an obsession with like action movies, like really bad B movies. And so I oh, was, yeah. yeah, Jim Cotta. I was obsessed with the movie, Jim Cotta. Oh, man. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a gold mine. No, yeah. But between that and the pro wrestling, I think we had a very, a very similar upbringing. Oh, that's great. Like in, yeah. So in, in our band, actually, um, when we were in high school, we used to cover like the theme song from Demolition, the tag team, because they had a, they had that badass riff theme song. And so, yeah, we used to cover that and had the wrestling albums and stuff like that. So I, and um, I've, I've watched my share of Steven Seagal films or even Cynthia Rothrock and stuff like okay, that. Okay. So now I'm, you're dropping. You. Yeah. Now you're dropping Cynthia Rothrock, man. She, uh, she <laughs> shot, my business partner always tells a story. He shot a movie with her and like, uh, they they shot something here in Alabama and he did this film with her and it was just insane. He said it was just an insane. I won't go into too many details, but it was rough. All right. Well, you know, what's, what's a cool thing, um, I think also is that, you know, so you're centering your studio in Alabama and stuff and, and too. And a lot of people will be like, well, how do you, you know, how do you get to make movies in a, in a city that's not a production center? Like you'd say that uh, Los Angeles and New York. Yeah. You know, here's the thing is what people... Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It doesn't exist in a lot of other business spaces or creative business spaces, but the film business is really driven by the incentives in a lot of ways. That's why you've seen a lot of movies in new Orleans. That's why you're seeing a boom in, in Georgia. That's why that, that really insane bill that somehow got passed in Georgia. That's why it could have been an issue because all the studios were threatened to pull out the films there. Oh, right. You pull the walking dead out of Georgia. What are they going to do? Right. Right. Well, you know, the weird thing is they jump a lot. Like, um, there's a show on, uh, was it AMC into the badlands? Do you know that show? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've watched a few episodes of it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they bailed and went to Ireland because the incentives in Ireland are better. So like, they're going to have a whole new look next season. I don't even know if people, I don't, I'm not even know if I'm supposed to know that, but I do. So boom, there you go. Free info. All right. Dropping some knowledge. Yeah. On but you see on the other side of listen. but that's how it works is they follow the incentive. So Alabama has like a really strong tax incentive. And we, um, I used to work for an investor, uh, or a creative down here that came into an investing side and he wanted to shoot movies. He wanted to build a crew. He actually wanted to invest in people because the first few movies we made are questionable. Okay. But for the people who can watch convergence and stuff out there, like it's, it is a, I mean, it's a pro film. It looks, I mean, it looks great. Sounds great. I mean, actors, you got the, um, you got the guy from the thing you do in it. Oh yeah, Ethan Embry. Right, and he—I mean—he plays a great character. Like I—he is so against type. Yeah. That I—I I was definitely not expecting. I was definitely not expecting that, and I, I don't want to spoil it for the audience. But Ethan Embry certainly plays a a, a nasty character in the film. It almost like I was like, "That's Ethan Embry, right?" Because he was just on The Walking Dead last season too. <laughs> we were so ex- I was geeking out when I heard he was going to be on it. I was so excited, yeah. and and you know, on, no spoiler, but his his run is not as fast as it should be pun intended <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so but anyway but i was going to say like the uh I, I would not say that there's any difference in quality of anything like that of something you definitely see uh on tv or films like that from the rest of it 
Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, don't get me wrong. When I was I was trashing my own work, it was more a matter of saying like, you know, initially the stories were very simple uh, or, or rather they weren't simple. They were overly convoluted, which is a, sometimes a challenge of the indie film guys, as you put it. And they weren't my scripts. They were somebody else's and they're a great writer in their own right. It just they were they weren't to the level of where I wanted to take something like Convergence. And Convergence was uh, was my first film that I got to write and direct on my own and kind of solo it. The other pictures always had, you know, several attachments. I was always the director, but there was other attachments involved. So Convergence, I like to call as my first film, essentially. Um, okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. I got a lot of practice. It does. Right. So you, this is your first, like, this is your baby because you wrote it and you directed it. And... So to give people a little bit, kind of a plot summary about that, I mean, it, it takes place in Atlanta, ostensibly in the 1990s. That's correct. Nin- which, 99, technically. Which I like too, because it was fun to listen to it. I'm like, all right. And then all of a sudden, um, like Everclear comes on. Yep. And then Toad the Wet Sprocket, I think, comes on. I was yep. like, hey, yep. listen to this. Like it's, you know, it, it sounds like, uh, like a mix CD I would have made, you know, in 19, in the 1990s. There we go. And. And so that that was fun, and uh, so it takes place in the 1990s with the bombing of an abortion clinic, right? And that obviously very topical too to the, to that kind of era. Now, is that? I mean, growing up in the South and stuff like that, is that something when you were taking the inspiration for the film? Um, was I mean that taken from like, hey, that was something you were exposed to? Yeah, yeah. So so here's the thing: is like. During that window, um, from the from the late, uh, well, the mid '80s through the '90s, you know, the anti-abortion rhetoric down here was out of control, right? Sure. And and it was pretty violent. Where I grew up was uh, a, a city called Mobile, which is on the Gulf Coast, and it's not far from Pensacola. In Pensacola, I think it was '90 or '91. Uh, this guy he said he was walking on the beach, and do- God told him to go um, uh, shoot up this abortion clinic, and he did. And you know. It, that the it's a group you there's actually a good documentary on hbo called i think it's called let's see they're called the army of god we change it to the hand of god but the army of god um there's a doc on hbo you can see about it and this guy you can see his interview this guy like believed that god was telling him to kill people and i always when i was a kid that was scary to me so if i'm going to write something that scares me monsters don't scare me gore doesn't scare me gore's just fun so i've got to write something that truly got inside my head the shining is the movie that scares me the most so i'm going to attempt to do that so i had a single location kind of vibe and then i'm going to put the most insane villain i can come up with inside that space so yeah it's it's based on a lot of fact which is part of the reason why there's maybe a little bit of religion in the film it has to exist in order for those characters to make any sense Sure. Have you ever met people you think that have that kind of, you know, I, I've exp- like, I, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, I live in, I mean, this is the, you know, the, 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 the people's Republic of Madison is what they call it, you know, from outside the city and Madison's a fun city and everything, but it is, I mean, very liberal. And so when you hear about that, you're like, well, I know plenty of Christians or plenty of people that go to church and things like that. And I grew up in the Catholic church and my, you know, my mom still goes all the time and everything. And while they might have opinions on things, I, I you know you don't often encounter that kind of really strong true believer belief, right? At le- you know around there, and then and then sometimes you'll be talking to people for no you know other kind of you know, just on something else, and they'll like start hinting at some things where you're like, hey, I, you know, you kind of let it go past you, you know, they'll be like, well, I, you'll be talking about something else, and like, yeah, you know. And that guy, boy, you know, if he died, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And then you're like, that 
kind of slips past you, but then you're thinking to yourself a little bit, well, I, I don't know if that was quite appropriate. And that's, to me, that seems like that's the kind of person who could slip over into a character like what Ethan Embry becomes in the movie. Oh, no, no, no. That's the thing is like, right. It's, it's always a litmus test is when people do that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, on, I, to, to make myself more Southern sounding down here, it's often done with people will do that litmus test. Um, more modern will you do it with race and they'll fire off a little racial thing and see how you react and they'll keep pushing if they're racist they'll keep pushing the boundary i was in a small town here and um i was getting my hair cut so this guy's like cutting my hair and um i i don't practice judaism but my my mother is jewish and comes from that sure. side of it and the guy started making really anti-semitic remarks like he teased one out and i didn't say anything he teased another because i'm in a weird i'm compromised he's shaving my head he's got right but you know but then eventually i was like i gave him 10 bucks and i and, I, and like which wasn't enough apparently and i just got up and walked out half shaved head because it got to a point where it's like i can't take this anymore like you are clearly racist and you're trying to get me to agree with your garbage it's not gonna happen not gonna happen right and it's not like you're some kind of old friend or something like that you're just the dude that he's cutting his hair <laughs> yeah, i just want my right? hair cut maybe he thought because i keep my head my hair shaved so short because if i don't i get an afro so maybe he thought i was like a skinhead and it's like dude i'm not even check it out i don't even wear red laces for that reason like i'm pretty i'm old sure. school um <laughs> so no, that's funny. It's like, just because I don't have like the Hasidic curls or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. like take it easy. Right. But, and it's, and just the, the, the randomness and things like that. But, you know, I, I think that, um, that kind of true belief, whether it is, you know, whatever si extremism in whatever sign it is where right. you're willing to blow something up. When in Madison, we had a very famous case of, uh, anti-war protesters blew up one of the science buildings here at the university in the 1960s Whoa! Um, to protest the Vietnam War because they said that the research being done in that building was contributing to bombs being dropped on uh, the North, you know, North Vietnamese and they was contributing to the war effort. And so they, uh, like there was nobody in the building, but they killed the janitor. The janitor got killed. Oh God. Because of that. Right. And then the four people who did it are still on the run. Wow. Really? Um, well, they're not all, I mean, like two of them are on the run and two of them have been captured. I, I, I don't have this stuff off the top of my head. No, but it's but a I'll fascinating link, story. Now I'm kind of interested. Uh, yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes. And the best part is Quantum Leap even did an episode like kind of based on that. Oh, crazy. And in, in the Quantum Leap episode, Sam stops, stops them from blowing up the building. But in real life, they blew up the building and killed the guy. Wow. And so, I mean, that kind of extremism, whether it's going to be on the right or on the left, and, it's, and especially, I mean, people get more polarized than ever, uh, as you were talking about Facebook and stuff before. <laughs> I, you know, I think that th that is fertile ground for, you know, fertile ground, especially for commentary now more than ever, because it does seem that people are moving in one direction or the other and, and less of coming to the middle and trying to understand each other and everything. And, um, you know, so I, I thought that was a, an interesting aspect of the film, because you'd think that since the 90s, the situation would have improved. Um, and... It probably hasn't. It's so. it, it's in some ways maybe it's shifted, right? You know, it's like what's the the, the internet has the memory of a, of a gerbil or whatever, and <laughs> right, you know, one day we're mad about this, the next day we're mad about something else, and we've forgotten it. And it's it's almost to me that's how it is, and that's why it's relevant. I'm not making a statement that that Christians are bad or any other religious group is bad. That's not the the point. It's that extremism, this zealot nature, taking it so far that blowing up and killing other people in the name of that it doesn't make sense 
at all when 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 specifically in this case it's you know it's a it's a pro life scenario they're saying we want to save lives we, murder is a uh, abortion is murder but we're going to murder people it, it's 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 also the same theme that you kind of get on Daredevil season 2 they did it maybe smarter than me in some ways they got the punisher right is it is right. it is it right to kill so and well, and, I, and you know i think that movie uh convergence it is i would say not a necessarily a religious film but it definitely has a ton of religious subtext in it outside of the, uh, the, you know, the bad guys being religious extremists. Right. You know, you could say that I mean, there is a lot of religious text in the film. And so that's kind of wanted to ask you, what was your upbringing in particular? Because I think there's a very purgatorial feel in the film that he is, you know, he's between two places. It's lost season six in the, you know, <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's better than lost season six, but, um, so it's lost season six in that he's between life and death, between, you know, but between, you know, what happens and, and then what happens after. And um, what is, are you, I mean, were you raised Catholic? Was that, a, a, I mean, is purgatory something that, um, you know, you thought about as a little kid or something like that? Or how did that, con- how did that uh, concept come to you? Well, there's a couple of things. So I was actually raised uh, a mix. So uh, it, it, Part of the way I went to synagogue and then um, my mom, I guess, became messianic. If you want to go down that route, she became a Christian in that sense. Faith jumped. And um, so so I I basically was raised non-denominational. And so the the purgatorial elements that we did, I introduced were more from my obsession with Dante and this idea, because the the one thing that Catholicism, especially like digging in the older, the, the, the history of it, they have a really great set of rules for world building. Like there's a great set of world building rules. Like I'm an, I'm an RPG guy. I, I grew up on tabletop games. So if I use Absolutely. that as, right, if I use it as a rule book, anybody, anybody at home, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so there's a great rule set in there in, in some ways, right? So I started looking at it and I found it fascinating, you know, and I don't remember the exact scripture, but I remember like studying a scripture, uh, it's New Testament, I believe, that 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 there is an opportunity upon death to kind of reinvest or re, um, what is the word I'm looking for, to, to kind of question your faith or, or readjust your faith upon death. And I was like, well, what if you start looking at the ideas of purgatory and we say, what if there is an intermediate moment that time doesn't matter because time is a human constraint. And we're talking about the supernatural, which I don't believe time necessarily applies to if you don't want it to. So let's say, what if there is a window and there's a place where you can work this out and this particular story takes these five characters or seven characters, really it's supposed to be one, but you take these characters and you put them in this timeless element. And it, it also links into where I was going with the the uh, sort of supernatural element of ghosts themselves. What if, you know, what if, just for example, what if ghosts are in sort of a purgatory state as opposed to thinking that they're just trapped on earth? What if they're not? What if they're in between the realms, which is what I interpret Dante to mean purgatorio to be? You know, and I think that's a popular kind of uh, in filmmaking lately because you see they did that on The Leftovers. Yeah. The same kind of thing with yeah. um, after Kevin quote unquote dies, and then they also did. I mean, um, season seven of the Sopranos, season six or season seven, the be- whatever the last, the final season of the Sopranos, the first half, Tony Soprano is in that in that area between life and death, right? And so when you talk about that, you know, that timeless quality of people trying to figure out what they believe and their faith and to make some kind of sense out of their life before they move on to the next place. You know, I, I think you're tapping into something that 
hasn't been as explored in traditional theology as it has been as explored in fiction. Like when you talk mm. about Dante. Yep. So he takes the concept of purgatory, you know, he, and he rolls with it. Right. You know, eight centuries ago or whatever. Right. And so what, speci- like what kind of elements specifically can you think of that you, you kind of, when you were looking th- through the purgatorio, um, what were you like? I'm, were there any particular spots like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adapt that? Or I, like that's something that is going to create a scene for me in the film? Yeah, you know, what I did is, because uh, it, it spe- a lot of people confuse Inferno and Purgatorio and a huge difference in the two when you start digging into it, at least in my study of it. And with the Purgatorio, I started looking at the levels. And uh, if you kind of look um, like in Convergence, for example, uh, the majority of the film takes place on the fourth floor, although we visit the third floor and I'd have to pull it up again because I don't remember them all off my memory. But I, I correlated certain specific, like scene scenes and sequences to take place on the floors to represent an emotional state um, that connects to what the pur- purgatory is referring to. I wish I, I you know what, I, I, while, while I'm talking, I'll dig it up just because it, it, it makes sense, certainly because you've seen it and hopefully others will, will peep on it. And for those of you that aren't quite familiar with what we're talking about, um, there is a, a poet uh, by the name of Dante who lived in like 14th century Italy and he wrote uh, three epic length poems about um i mean he was basically i mean he was the protagonist it's been a, a it's been two decades since i i read inferno <laughs> so it's been a while but i mean he's basically the protagonist and he is led through hell the inferno purgatory purgatorio and then heaven paradiso he's le- like gets a tour through it right that's it and um after his wife dies or his love dies his love dies yeah beatrice beatrice right yep so, uh, so that we're kind of, we're kind of talking about that. And, and these are some of the, like the first that we know of, uh, that, you know, we know of as fictional constructs of what heaven, hell, purgatory would be like. And it, it's also very close to its, uh, it's satire of current events. Like there's popes in hell and things like that. Like yep. it's, it's, it's very, uh, the reason it's lasted for us for, for so long is because it's, uh, uh, it works on several levels, like like Shakespeare and stuff. So that's kind of what we're we're talking about. If you guys haven't checked that out, then we'll have some Wikipedia links in the show notes, <laughs> and you can take a look there. And even a, but I think even a, a, looking through the Wikipedia link and getting some of that familiarity with the concepts will add some depth to the film. Absolutely. So yeah, and that's where it ties in. So uh, the the fourth floor, for example, is the slothful, and this is kind of spoiler territory, but I think if we're going to have the discussion, let's do it, watch the movie and have a good time and, and, and either watch, pause it now, watch the movie and come back to us or keep listening and and enjoy the movie either way. But so like uh, the, the fourth terrace or in our place in this hospital is the fourth floor. It's the slothful. And that's where I, we take sloth to mean because of, to me, I think of David Fincher's uh, seven and I think sloth of like right. lazy, but what if we mean slothful to mean non-committal? What if they're lazy that they don't want to commit? You've seen the film, they don't commit, which is also my opinion of maybe what a supernatural entity might be that's in between planes. They have not committed to their role in the afterlife, whether heaven or hell, they won't, they won't attest for their sins or they they won't deny. So they're mm-hmm. kind of stuck in the space. But when we go visit Daniel, you'll notice they're always going downstairs to visit Daniel, which leads us to the third terrace, which is the wrathful. And if if Daniel Donner, Ethan Embry's character, is nothing but wrathful, he is the he is the definition of wrath. He yes. right. So there is that connection that ties it in. And there was a at one point there was a scene in the film 
where, and if you notice, the characters are always looking up because uh, Purgatory is actually this, the weird idea about Purgatory is it's it's above hell, but it's below earth. And so if you look at um, my understanding interpretation anyway, and if you, if you notice, everyone's always looking up, which is the idea that they want to, for some reason they're drawn, they want to go up, they want to escape this position, but they all get drawn in by other other me- the temptations, if you will. But mm-hmm. uh, there was a fifth floor scene that got cut, which was the covetous. And that's where Ben makes it to the fifth floor. The door is locked on the fifth floor. He can't get in. He looks through the window and he sees that someone's on the other side and he can't reach him. And he's jealous because he wants to get to this person. Um, but I, I, I cut it out of the film. I think it might be on the Blu-ray extended features or whatever deleted features thing. But yeah, so that that's where it all kind of comes. It's, it's big nerdy stuff, but it's because I love that. I love detail. I think detail's awesome. Well, and I, and I think uh, we can appreciate that because, especially in the horror genre, um, which I love. I mean, I'll I'll watch any horror film, and I'll give I'll give almost any horror film a chance, and I have with way too many. But you know, some something that that's kind of common is lazy writing in horror movies. Is I mean that that just comes with it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just like, oh yeah, well, why does the character do this? It's like, uh, because she's 15 and she's dumb. You know, it's like, uh, uh, okay, well, why do the characters decide to have sex? Right when there's a monster on the loose. Well, teenagers are horny, stupid. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> okay. Right. But, you know, I, I remember when I was a teenager, and that'd be the last thing on my mind when somebody's got a knife. But, you know, so I appreciated the fact that, uh, you know, that you were sent that those rules and trying to make those kind of contextual connections because uh, that gives depth to the film and, it, and also gives it some, you know, thought behind it. You know, like, you know, what are you... What are you trying to express by it? You know, redemption and, uh, you know, a person, you know, making that choice so that they can get to the next level. It's exactly. And and one of the things that I that I wanted to explore is, you know, redemption in the classic movie type archetype these days. Redemption is that, you know, uh, uh, someone took my wife, daughter, sister, whatever. And in order for me to redeem myself, I must go hunt down the bad guy and kill them in order to find redemption. That's revenge. That's murder. And if I'm going to say <laughs> right. that blowing up people is murder, that's the same thing. So what I wanted to show is both sides of it. So there's there's a, an element of redemption in the film. And then arguably, there's also an element of revenge in the film. And it's not to say that good things can't happen from either one, right? Or bad things can't happen from either. But I wanted to at least show this idea that there's, there's a little more to it than just black and white, um, good and bad, in my opinion. And, and so, so the thematically... I think we've we've covered some of the territory. What I want to get to a little bit is the scenes with the ghost hunters. <laughs> so this is, I mean, and this is this is something that I thought was neat and kind of you know said it's like I I didn't kind of expect it. Like a team shows up, <clears throat> obviously inspired by the Atlantic, you know, paranormal society. Yeah, exactly. You and, you picked it up. And so you know when when you saw that part, like um, you know there's a, there's a paranormal team in the show, and they are much like you know the ghost hunters on TV. And so it seems like you've been watching some of those shows, Drew. And, you know, what is your, what is your, and also as a filmmaker, what is your opinion on paranormal reality television? Well, okay, so the the catch is reality television, right? Because I think, you know, you being a creative, <laughs> you I know you've experienced it, but a lot of that stuff is staged. And, and, and I'm not saying that the, all the Ghost Hunter shows aren't, you know, I don't know, but it does seem like most reality television is set up and there's a producer that pushes a button to to get somebody to 
create an inciting event. Like in, in any good story, there should be always some moment of action to call our heroes into investigation. So I don't know how much is is reality and how much is not. What I know is from personal experience, the the things that I've personally experienced have uh, the supernatural elements in my life have have given me answers to questions or created new questions, but enough to plant a seed of faith in my brain that there is something beyond um, what we experience on a daily basis. There is something unique to it. And when we, when I started doing the writing, I ended up calling uh, through a connection. I called this gentleman who turned out to be a police officer. So he was like a double whammy in terms of, uh, of, you know, getting a creative uh, inspiration. So we, oh, absolutely. it was great. And so we started talking, we were talking cop stuff. And then he, we started talking about paranormal and he started playing some spirit box stuff. And actually, if you go to, this isn't a stupid plug, it's just the easiest way to find it. If you go to, to convergencemovie.com and scroll to the bottom, there's a, there's a link. If you click it, there's actually, it's, it's our paranormal investigator who was like kind of consulting with us. He took some of the cast and crew and did a spirit box reading in a location in Mobile that's, because Mobile's a very old city that's supposedly haunted. And as he's going through it, he's asking it questions, the spirit box is replying to him, and it's responding pretty good. Towards the very end, he subtitled it, and it says you. But when we first watched it, there were no subtitles, and the producer was with me, and he freaked out because it does, he, he asks the entity, who are you connected to? And the entity comes back, and the producer swears it said Drew. And ah. yeah, and we it was freaky. So so for us, like the ghost hunter thing for me has always been in that. So I didn't mean to go on a tangent, but it's just the reality of it is mm. that stuff could happen and maybe they are capturing truth. But you know, there's been a lot of stories that have come out and unfortunately knocked some of those reality shows out uh, out of reality. Um Well, and that's why I think sometimes it's fun just to talk about the uh you know, number one to talk about personal experiences. I'm gonna ask you about yours in a second. But number two, to talk about a lot of the fiction based on, you know, those personal experiences and things, because I think a lot of the times, you know, the stuff that happens to us, the, the weird stuff that we see or experience in our own life, it just has, there is no explanation. You know, you're just like, oh, I, I don't know what that was. You know, that could have been anything. Right. But then, but, but when you work through fiction, it gives you a chance to go through and find some meaning to it. And I think that's what we do. For almost anything, you know, when we talk about spirituality and the finding the meaning of our lives, a lot of times you have to create that story in order for it to make sense to yourself. Oh, yeah. Look, there's no doubt. Um, I've had a lot of near death, uh, more than I probably should. Um, So there's been several. And and one of those for me was uh, a moment, uh, whitewater rafting, which, you know, everybody has a near death, supposedly whitewater rafting. (laughs) But, But I flipped out of the boat and got, we got caught in a, like a whirlpool type thing. And when I flipped out, I got stuck underneath the raft and those rafts are fairly heavy, much less loaded down with six adults. You float up cause you're wearing a thing. And so anyway, I'm trapped under this thing for, I, I believe according to accounts, uh, two to three minutes. Luckily I was a swimmer at the time, so I could hold my breath, but I start, I literally had to come face to face with the idea that I'm not going to get out because they couldn't, my mom blacked out cause she's a chicken and she panicked and, and she's a good Jewish mother. That's what they do. And, um, <laughs> And so she blacked out and, and so there I am under the thing and, and the, and as audible as I'm talking to you now underwater, as insane as it sounds, I heard, I assumed I was going to go and I was looking kind of what I thought was downstream trying to figure out a way I heard look left. And as I did, there's a shaft of light that looked as solid as a pole sticking out. And I reached for it thinking maybe they had found a stick and I, it, I my hand went through it and then my buddy had gotten out of the boat, grabbed my wrist and 
with strength of you know a um a frightful mother he he like pulls me out <laughs> from underneath this boat and for me that was like a solidifying moment that there's something i mean it it was audible look left and i did and again that could be fight or flight i understand that but to me it became reality in that and that's that's on the that's on the uh the death side of it right so it flipped me around and immediately and i came out and i was as blue as the wall behind you kind of thing he has a blue wall behind him for those in podcast land sorry and uh <laughs> that's right and uh and so yeah i mean i was it it, it clicked in it it, cre- it planted that seed right and then then we st- can talk about the darkness stuff because i've seen a lot of weird like darkness elements in my time so you know there's there's two sides of it right when you're writing convergence did you draw on any of those supernatural elements that kind of happened to you? Like, like you just said, like you had that look left moment. You had that, you know, the beam of light, something, whether it was in your head or outside your head or somebody communicating you psychically or whatever it was, something told you to do the thing that saved your life. Right. And, and did you, you know, did you draw on any of those experiences that you had for this particular, when you were writing this particular film, was there something, you know, like you said, like any, any scenes in, in Purgatorio that you were like, Hey, I, I want to bring that to life. Are there thing, anything that happened to you that you're like, I want to bring this to life to kind of figure this experience out? Yeah, no, a lot of it has to do with if it, so Ben, the, the character by, by Clay Crawford, the actor Clay Crawford, Ben is very much me. I mean, the, the little baby in the film is my daughter. Her name is Finley. Stupidly, I didn't change the name. So now it's too personal for me to watch, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so Ben is me. It, it would, I forget my glasses all the time. That's just part of the situation. So it's a very truthful thing. And there have been multiple times in my life when someone or a group of people have almost eerily like the movie fallen with Denzel Washington have almost eerily turned and said something to me that almost seemed out of character for them, or they would tell me to do something or they were giving me a point to look at, pay attention. And if you guys haven't seen the movie fallen, Denzel Washington, John Goodman, it's uh, like a demon or whatever keeps going from person to person. Like it'll just keep jumping from person to person. There's a, it's like, there's also a Lou Diamond Phillips movie called the first power. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. (laughs) So that, uh, but the th- the thing about the movie Fallen is that the character will keep whistling "Time Is on My Side" by the Rolling Stones, and so that's the kind of thing when he says that different people would say the exact same thing to you over a course of time. Is that what kind of what you're getting at? Exactly right. Exactly right. And so you know, then you start to look at those, and if you if you're watching Convergence when you when you have a chance to see it, or if you've watched it, then you kind of start to see that they tell Ben the same thing. Ben is told the exact, it's almost repetitive. It's almost a residual haunting because he's told the same thing and he keeps rejecting it. So it's it's pulling from that personally of this idea of of here here is your your chance at redemption or grace rather in this case. Here's a chance at grace if you will just accept it and listen to it. And so that's kind of what I went down and it, and again there is a religious element to the picture but it's not meant to be preachy. I believe that grace is is grace. I mean we should we offer grace to each other all the time and that's unconditional. We should offer grace to each other. We'd have a probably a much safer planet, but that kind of thing. Well, I think that the religious elements are interesting too, because number one, it's not preachy, but n- number two, um, it's not done in a way where, you know, like when you watch a, um, when you watch like Left Behind or something like that, when you, you know, it's it's like it's very obviously okay, they've got an agenda. It's more like, well, if people were in this kind of religious situation, um, or you know, a situation between life and death where there were spirits involved, 
they would have these kind of existential questions that we deal with, and they would be able to talk about religious things honestly, and also not in a you know in an exorcist kind of way, you know, where the Catholic Church has the Catholic Church is more in, in movies is more like a society of wizards than it is a religion. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, with magic spells and, you know, the rosary is some kind of protective amulet and things like that. And so that just always makes me laugh whenever you see, like, the priest, and he's like, well, when we had exorcism training, and I'm like, give me a break. Yeah. You know, like, the local priest <laughs> is never going to have any exorcism training or anything like that. That's, you know, so... But I, I appreciate that, that you, you can deal with the issues of spirituality in a way that, um, you know, is not as uh, mainstreamed, or how do you say it? Like, you know, they, they bleach out in a lot of movies all of the, a lot of the symbolism and the discussion in order to make it more palatable to everybody. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, is like, sometimes when we get into any sort of religious conversation or, you know, our, our instinct is at least in my opinion, what I've observed is instinct is to kind of pull back a little bit because we don't want to offend anyone. And I agree. I understand that. I respect that. But at the same sure. time, why can't we have a conversation about it? And more importantly, I believe that everyone's faith element, uh, whether you believe in a, in a, in nothing, whether you don't know what to believe or whatever, that's your individual, that's your right. And you're in, so I'm not going to tell you how to believe. I'm just going to show up perspective of what could be right and so that's that's some of the things like with and i like faith-based films are fine they they are what they are everyone has a market for them but sometimes Mm -hmm. when it's it it you're leaving out the people that probably actually might be interested in it which is the people that maybe are questioning something so why not give on the edge people right why not give them a chance to experience that relates to them as opposed to if you make a movie that's solely about being uh, to quote um, Bruce Campbell from Ar- Army of Darkness, "Little Goody Two Shoes, Little Goody Two Shoes." <laughs> if you're quoting that and you're and you're only giving that s- side of it, then you're kind of you're you're alienating the rest of us that that maybe are kind of on the edge, like you said. Right, and I think that you know that element of watching things that make you question your beliefs even a little bit, that make you think about that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the that's the power of fiction, and that's that's the power of being able to look at something critically. Instead of saying like, well, this movie doesn't agree with my, this doesn't agree with my beliefs or my way of thinking. So I don't even want to see it. Right. Like that's, well, that's when you get to the point of you know, intolerance <laughs> and things like that. And that's the kind of attitudes that we were discussing in the beginning of the, in the beginning of the discussion. Full circle. Right. So now your next project, you, you mentioned before that uh, you might, and this is, this is a topic that I just know very little about. And so that's what, um, that's why I wanted to ask you about it for the, for the last part of the conversation. Black-eyed children. Oh, yeah, I'm obsessed. Okay, now, I had never heard of this before the um, Chicago Paranormal Conference I went to last October, and there was uh, Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio. Uh, Dave is, I am with, obsessed with Dave Schrader. Yeah, and his great show, super cool guy. And he's like, he's like, so, you know, black eyed children. And I'm like, what? Like, I thought he was some kind, it was some kind of abuse thing or something like that. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he's like, no, children with black, you know, kind of, a, you know, children of the damned kind of thing. Right. And so I, you could explain that concept real quick for our listeners who maybe like me before last year had never heard of black eyed children. Okay. Well, the, the, there's not a ton of information aside from some, you know, internet murmur and then a couple of 
pretty bona fide accounts, which is you find yourself in a circumstance. So let's uh, let's paint the picture. You find yourself in your car, and as you're sitting in your vehicle, uh, you have a, a quick wrap on the on the glass, and you turn and look, and you see a a young person. Uh, you, the age range usually is from six till. 15 or 16, a teenager, let's say, and their heads are covered and they're down. Um, I, I just did that, even though you guys can't hear it. I tucked my head down. Sorry. <laughs> he, he totally did it, guys. Yeah. So, you know, they have their heads down. You can't really see their eyes. And and the accounts say that they'll ask you for something and it's kind of out of character They'll or, or kind of out of um, a modern uh, language. So they'll come at you and say, like, please, sir, our taxi car is broken down. Can we have a ride? And you know, you hear that and taxi car, what the, what are they talking about? And, and most people that have experienced it describe this fear that immediately hits them. That's as if it's primal fear. That is to say, it's that our ancestry of this is something, something's not right here. It's not just being scared. This, I have to get away from this. This is a predator. They predatorial fears where they describe it. And normally the person resists and says no, and it's and kind of questions, maybe hesitant because it is a child and you want to help them. And that's when they typically reveal their little faces and their skin is pale and their eyes are solid black. And it's not that their eye sockets are gone and they're and they're black. It's that their eyeballs themselves are black. They don't blink. They speak monotone. That is the scariest. Having two kids, hell no, man. Pardon my language, but like <laughs> that is the scariest thing in the world to consider. If you're sitting at home alone one night and you get three quick raps on your door, knock, 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 and you head over to it and you open the door and it's raining outside and there's a small child standing there, obviously wet. Your human being, your instinct is probably, but then they speak and suddenly it's triggered this terrible fight or flight syndrome. So I got obsessed with reading about it and hearing these stories. And and the first story you can find, I forget the guy's name, uh, Dave, I think Dave or Coast to Coast, one of the two shows just interviewed him and you can, you can hear him tell the real story and it's, it's terrifying, very terrifying. Yeah. And the, and the idea is like, where would that even, you know, what could the black eyed children be? You know, that makes me, it makes me think of the, you know, the men in black, right. You know, the original um, you know, when I originally read about Men in Black, and you know, when I was a kid or whatever, it always felt like uh, the Men in Black weren't just. Now we think, oh, the people working for the government. But when I was a kid, I remember thinking like, no, the Men in Black were actually like alien facsimiles of human beings, right? You know, because people would talk about the the car they'd be in, and, and the car um, would have strange lights in it, or you know, the driver would be on the wrong side, or you know, it just made it sound like this was alien camouflage. And they were coming to get your evidence. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. I I always I always thought maybe they were time travelers, right? And and that there was like a weird time jump. Um uh, the, the fringe. The, like the like the fringe aspect, but the observers in the fringe. And that's why I loved uh the first two seasons of Fringe and then I got angry. <laughs> that's a, it was the like the second part of season two was probably some of the best um some of the best stuff they ever did. Absolutely. But uh, anyway, if you guys haven't seen Fringe, first of all, you got Netflix, use it. And but <laughs> but second of all, um, there there are these Men in Black characters that kind of look like Powder, the movie Powder. The um, yeah, good call, good call. You know, the bald and white skin and stuff like that, and they love hot sauce too. But they're <laughs> uh, they're Men in Black characters that are actually humans from the future that are coming back, and they're called Observers. Coming back to check out things, and that, that's kind of the the Men in Black aspect of Fringe. 
So make sure to check out those first two seasons because there will be a test on all of the films we talk <laughs> about today. At the end, uh, at the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 86. So you're kind of rolling in the paranormal world right now with the films and stuff. Is, is that something you've always wanted to do? Like, you know, go after those paranormal films and things? Or uh, were there, you see a market for it? Or, you know, I know it's, so hard to get any kind of funding for any kind of creative project. Absolutely. Um, you know, how did you succeed at that, that, that paranormal level? Well, it's, it's a couple things. One, I have a, if I'm going to do a paranormal element, I'm going to do something I'm passionate about. So black eyed kids creep me out. So I'm going to do it. Uh, I think purgatory is fascinating and it's, and it's not been explored enough. So you get a little element of that in, in uh, convergence. I'm also obsessed with shadow people, which ties into convergence because I've seen several mm -hmm. shadow. I've seen shadow entities multiple times throughout my life. So I'm curious as to what they are. And so I'm trying to pose a plausible explanation. Now I've seen them a couple of times too. And I have, you know, and I've seen them with other people. Like we've been in a group and then have seen just shadows of human beings where there's no human beings there in like with like bright moonlight coming down. Right. What was, what was your situation where you saw a shadow person? Like, was it corner of the eye? Was it, or was it like somebody right in front of you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm also a believer that sometimes, uh, I do believe maybe that the supernatural can find you and or attach to you, or you might stir, you might poke the beehive one too many times. And so just, right. just after convergence, now granted my daughter in that film uh, she was six months old, so I'm very cautious of anything. But just after we finished Convergence, uh, it was 6.30 or so in the, in the evening. And so there was plenty of, not tons of daylight, but there was nice daylight. I'm walking down my driveway and a shadow person, not the hat man, because I don't believe in that, but a shadow person <laughs> walks from dead center vision from uh, center vision left into my home and, and walks directly into my house. And I stopped and I immediately said a quick prayer and I ran inside and, and, and my kid was crying. Now that's coincidence, but still it was freaky for me, right? Having seen Oh my that. God. Yeah. And so, um, then later my daughter, uh, let's see when she started speaking. So when she was maybe 18 months, uh, maybe 20 months, she actually said multiple times, there is a scary man at the door. And we would say, okay, maybe it's because one of my friends came to the front door. Although most of my friends come to the come around back, and so are most of your friends scary? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, most of mine are definitely. But she kept saying there's a, and then she described him as a shadow man. She said the word shadow man. I've never said that in front of my daughter. She said it to me, and that yeah. was it, man. And so, like, I, yeah, that's the shadow people uh, creep me out. That's too many experiences. Yeah, and I think it's interesting is that, um, you know, I didn't get, you know, when I, when I, the, the couple times I saw a shadow person, like I did get a weird, like dread feeling, right. you know, something, I mean, not just, not just I'm scared because this is unusual. Like I'm scared because this is evoking like a primal fear. Right. Right. And so that's why it's like, oh, you think they're just ghosts? And I'm like, well, you know, I think if dead people were, you know, if ghosts were just sticking around, um, they wouldn't be that scary because it'd be like grandma. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, what, what's, what's grandma going to do? Hopefully she's going to bake something for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> like from beyond, I don't care if they're phantom cookies or whatever, I'll take them. But 
uh, you don't, you wouldn't get that feeling of, you know, terror or whatever that you get from that, that kind of shadow people. And then seeing it, I, I mean, I've never seen anything like that in my home, but I can just imagine, like, especially, you know, with, with your daughter inside, oh. that you're like, get out. Well, you know, what? It, it's it's enough for me. Like, so we we really did a lot of uh, spiritual cleansing in in terms of making sure that our lives were on, you know, in track with with good. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's it's our. So I have a I have a, a, a podcast we do as well. But the, the producer of that show was cutting one of the episodes at his home, and he's talked about this entity that lives in his house before. But he was texting me in real time last night. Granted, he was home alone, so there's always a catch to the story, right? But he was home alone. <laughs> And, uh, he was texting me. He's like, it's coming up the stairs again. I was like, no way. And he was like, it's coming up the stairs again. It's like, literally, I thought it was the air conditioner, but it is, it is pounding on the stairs. And I was like, well, get out of there. He goes, I don't want to go back down the stairs. Like what if it's, and so, um, I'd rather go out the window. (laughs) Same here. Right. I'm out. And so then today he sent me a text literally moments before we connected. And he said, Hey, I, his wife is away on business. He's like, I just went back downstairs after finishing the episode and I was using the restroom. It's outside the door. And I was like, dude, stop messing with me at this point. He's like, no, I'm not. It's outside the door. I was like, well then say a prayer or something, dude, because that doesn't sound normal. That's freaky. Right. And and that goes to your, I think your idea that sometimes you think that maybe something can attach to you. Absolutely. And it, you know, it makes me question. He, he, he had, he had talked about delving into, to not, not anything negative, but like having played a lot with spirit, you know, supernatural stuff and, and digging into uh, maybe too far into, to maybe he found a location where the, the, the veil was thin and something was able to kind of exist in both spaces. I don't know, but he certainly somebody's somebody's got a stick for him, so I'm not going over right. there. He can live by himself. Right. No, it's the it's the ghost that wants to use the bath. It's like he's waiting for the bathroom, man. Maybe that's what it like is. He, Maybe it's that old commercial where the Pepto Bismol commercial where the guy runs up the stairs and then runs back down the stairs to the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe it's a ghost with uh, stomach problems. Right. It's the it's the ghost of GI trouble. <laughs> that's brilliant. So, Ecto Bismol. No, he needs Ecto Bismol. <laughs> Ecto Bismol. Okay. Hey, I think with the Ghostbusters movie, I think we have a. I think we have a product here. Brilliant. Anyway, the people that are looking for Convergence, they might like to watch it. Where's the best place they can find it on? The, what's the place where they could that you make the most money? Where they buy it? Uh, I'm good either way, but I I think the best version to watch it is on Blu-ray. If you can find it at Best Buy stores, has it. If you can find it on Blu-ray or Amazon, uh, get the Blu-ray because there's some really cool deleted scenes. Otherwise, iTunes um, iTunes is a pretty good mix. I watched it myself. The sound mix is still good, and the, and the picture is pretty good. And then if anybody really wants to delve in and, and learn, we're doing something on ConvergenceMovie.com. It's up right now already. You can actually go watch the movie, and I created a video commentary, so it's not me and a buddy talking on camera. We, you have me and the VFX uh, producer discussing how we did shots, but I took all the B-roll that we had and I sunk it up. So what'll happen is sometimes you'll see a little countdown and then you can physically watch the behind the scenes of how we did a shot and then see both at the same time. So you have the finished scene and the behind the scenes just to give you something different for a commentary. And it's free. It's totally free. You can watch a commentary for free. Okay, so check that out at ConvergenceMovie.com. And then when people want to find your podcast... Where where can they find? You? Yeah, if, uh, we're actually on the Slackjaw Punks Radio Podcast Network, which is slackjawpunks.com If you know those guys, they're they're out of control, uh, funny dudes. So, so look look for Drew on the slackjawpunks.com. 
and looking for convergence and look out for the black eyed children. Absolutely. This next project because they're they'll be coming for you. Thanks for your time today, Drew. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm I'm totally humbled. I really enjoyed that conversation and I'm looking forward to his movie on black eyed children. Yes. I think that's definitely gonna, that's, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a modern phenomena kind of thing that I I'm really interested in digging a little more out of. For sure. Okay. So since we had like a, a horror film director on this week, uh, number one, we wanted to make the music a little soundtracky, so it kind of sound like a movie soundtrack, and also because one of my favorite horror film directors, John Carpenter, released a new album this week. Ooh! All of his soundtracks are very uh, synthy '80s kind of thing, and I, I love that stuff. And um, we thought that uh, we would do a John Carpenter inspired little horror movie soundtrack. So the theme of the movie Convergence is uh, between life and death, between heaven and hell. Uh, And we talked a lot about that in the interview. We we talked a lot about Drew's interest in purgatory. So we thought we'd name the song that. So check out Purgatory.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Maybe it's a ghost with uh, stomach problems. Right, it's the, it's the ghost of GI trouble. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, Ecto-Bismol. No, he needs Ecto-Bismol. <laughs> Ecto-Bismol, okay.